we're going to pick up the story in Acts, and uh, I can tell you this is going to be a wild one. Um, uh, Daniel Goodman was supposed to be with us today. He was going to be preaching this message, uh, but sadly he got COVID, so uh, you'll have to deal with me today. I hope that's okay. And uh, I've, um, I've been throwing myself into this story a little bit uh, unexpectedly this week, but it's a really powerful story, an exciting story. And we're going to be looking at gifts. Now, Acts started with an amazing gift. God gave the Holy Spirit to the church. And things just started to happen. Um, He gave gifts to the disciples. They started to proclaim the good news about Jesus. And people came to faith. And out of that faith, uh, a beautiful community was birthed. We can see last week that they were one in heart together. There was real diversity and yet unity uh, uh, being together. And now, this week, we're going to look at how that unity flowed over into generosity. So if you've got a Bible, if you find Acts chapter 4... Verse 33, we'll dive straight in. It says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Extraordinary generosity started to well up in the early church. Uh, People were selling fields and houses. Like, this was big stuff. This was not like a nice philanthropists club that you could join and give a little bit away of what you have. These were people making radical decisions. Back in the day, you you didn't have central banks where you could go put your money in and then take it out whenever you needed. Your possessions were in your, uh, your, your kind of investments were in your possessions, the fields that you had, the houses that you have. And if you sold them, then uh, you lost your investments. Uh, And because people lived in the Holy Land, no one parted with their fields for no reason because it was holy land. You didn't sell that. And uh, most of the people didn't have a second house on the beach they sold. These were like real possessions, your income, your your own house. You sold a house and then you had to sleep on someone's couch. This wasn't something that was a nice extra thing. This was extraordinary generosity. Now what we can see is um, these these stories show something of the, the generosity that was birthed in the community. And you kind of wonder, how did this happen? When the Holy Spirit came, did he give the gift of fundraising to the apostles? Did he give the gift of teaching about money to the apostles? That, that was just so amazing that everyone just had to respond? No. It says when we see that they were going around testifying about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy people among them and that they were generous people. And what we can see is that as they started to proclaim the gospel, the amazing message, how God gave everything he had for us, there was something deep within people's hearts that God gripped that was filled with the grace of God that made them relate to their possessions in a very different way. It wasn't about fundraising. It wasn't about teaching. It was about hearts that were being transformed in a response to God's great gift to us. 
Now, often we, well, we get questions around Life Church. Say, people say, how much should I give? Maybe you've been around, you heard us talk about giving, you say, um, you, you may have that question. Well, the New Testament doesn't really say. I mean, the Old Testament talks about giving a tithe, a 10%. That's like a, a good basic instruction um, and uh, a helpful principle, giving of your first fruit. But the New Testament doesn't say anything about it. Jesus teaches an awful lot about money, but he never teaches about tithing. That's weird, isn't it? Jesus teaches about money more than he teaches about heaven and hell combined. It's pretty much one of the biggest subjects he talks about. But he doesn't give rules. Because it's not about rules. It's about the heart. Now what we can see is the New Testament is filled with stories. We read about the widow who gave a few copper coins, everything she had. We can read about Barnabas. He got a new name. He gave his field. We saw other people selling their houses. I mean, these are stories about people who are gripped by the grace of God and were giving way beyond a percentage. Like they were willing to give their all. There was such deep trust that they were willing to part with their possessions because they knew God loved them. They didn't need something else on the side. They were willing to give it all. Now, to me, this story was a bit provoking this week because it coincided with us going through the process of putting our house on the market. I had an estate agent coming around this week to have conversations around that and then a photographer, you have to kind of tidy your whole house and like come take snapshots. And, and I, I didn't really want to open the door when they rang the doorbell. Some of you kind of know because we're planning to move to Holland, we're now kind of getting ready for that and this is part of the process, but I, I don't want to really sell my house. It's a beautiful house. I've prayed five years for this house. I've only lived in it for two and God said to me, well, would you be willing to part with that? I gave it to you as a gift first off. Now, what would happen to your heart if I asked for it back? I found that a little challenging. Um, some of you may know the story. We started saving up for a house. Um, we painstakingly saved up about 2,000 pounds, this little, little tiny sort of a deposit, and we said to God, well, this is gonna take forever to get to this point. We're not quite sure whether we should keep going or not, but if you're in this, God let us know. We said, this money is yours. If you want it, just let us know. Um, and uh, if not, then we'll just keep on saving. Same week, I meet somebody who was about to put out of her house. She told me in order to pay rent for the next term, she needed 2,000 pounds. And I regretted praying that prayer. But I thought, okay, here we go. So we gave it and we start praying, said, well, God, if you're in this, let us know. Same, money, same day the money goes out of the account, we get a gift three times as much. It's like, wow, I think God's in this. Like that normally doesn't happen, right? And then we start to save up a little bit more. I was at a, a conference, relational mission conference. Uh, somebody was talking. I can't really remember what they said, but there was one line that stuck out. It said, give it all. And I was like, no, God. We've done this before. Not again. And then I phoned up Simone and said, I kind of feel God saying this. Said, what? Um, and then same evening, there's a guy who's prophesying, Mike Pilavacci was speaking, and he was saying, there's somebody here in the room, you've had a phone call with your wife this, uh, this afternoon, and you were talking about doing something very risky. God says, go do it. Like, oh no, like, it couldn't get any clearer than that. 
So we chucked it all in and we thought, wow, it's going to happen now. Like last time, this worked out really well. Well, nothing happened. A car bill, that's what happened. And no provision. This time we were scraping around. We came to the next gift day at Life Church. I can tell you I was a little more apprehensive. I said to God, it didn't work last time. What's up with that? And then God said, whoa, I didn't say I was going to do it again. I asked back for it. And then God spoke to us, said, would you be willing to give the little bit that you have left? And we kind of looked and, and, and we felt God speaking to us. Um, uh, I felt God saying, next gift day, why don't you give five pounds to everyone who comes to the doors at Life Church? Some of you were there. You were really glad you showed up that day. Like the first gift day you came and you got money. Um, and uh, uh, we, we, we got 250 notes of five. Um, uh, said to Simone, go and get to the bank, go get it. And uh, she went there, she phoned me up, said like, there's not enough in the account. We can't get 250 notes of five. I said, well, just take whatever, whatever we get. So she took whatever she could get. And then we went around the house and we hunted every pot and wallet and sock under the bed, whatever we could find, put all the money together. And lo and behold, we had exactly 250 notes of five. So we, we went around and gave everyone five quid. Um, and, and then God said, and now trust me. We'd never done that before. Like the, the end of the month was nowhere near. And we had nothing. So we sat around the table and we shared this with our girls. And said, now let's now go and pray. Because like, if we want to do some shopping next week, we don't know where that's going to come from. We prayed and it was just a month of amazing God provision. One thing after another. Like not amazing like big, like somebody giving you a couple of thousand pounds. No, just little things. People buying shopping and, and other things. And it was just God's provision day by day. It was amazing. And then we started that little journey, and it took quite a long time then to get to buying a house. It was a miraculous provision, but we had really learned something about trusting God with finances. And then we got there, and finally lived in it for two years, and then God says, I'll have it back. Oh, that, that comes at a time that's hard. And I was so glad for this story to come in this week, saying, okay, God, you've got this. I trust you. Now, next to this story, there's another story. It's a bad story. And if you come, come here today and you're looking for some encouragement about giving, I've got some bad news for you. Uh, this is not going to be a story that's going to encourage you. This is like the shadow, the black part against the, the vivid colors of the New Testament generosity. And I'm going to read it to you because it's in the Bible and it's got something to teach us. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, there was a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira. He also sold a piece of property, and with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest of it to the apostles' feet. He thought, Barnabas, he got a new name. I fancy one of those. He got his name in the Bible. Maybe I can get mine. I mean, he didn't know that yet, but... Um, he did get his name in the Bible, but not in the way that he was hoping. So then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Now when Ananias heard this, he fell down. And died. 
That's a bit of a gift day experience for you. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the prize you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. You're thinking, no, no, don't go there. Yes, that is the prize. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And no one dared to give anything anymore. No, that's not what it says. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one dared to join them, lightly, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Wow, that is a dark story, isn't it? You kind of think, why is that in the New Testament? I mean, that sounds like a story from the Old Testament, but it's in there. It's in here for a reason. And it shows us that God cares about your giving. God really cares about our giving. You see, God is not after your money. He doesn't need your money. He's given everything you have. It's his anyway. But God does care about your money because your money shows where your heart is at. And God is after your heart. And your money shows where your heart is at. Jesus taught about money more than anything, that, anything else. Not because he was a fundraiser, but because he was a heart surgeon. He wanted to reveal what was in our hearts so we could live in relationship with Jesus. Now you need to understand that at this point in the story, there was only one church. If you wanted to see what the church was like, you came to the church in Jerusalem. There was not on a Sunday, which place shall we go? There was one church. And God is very zealous about protecting that early church. We can see that first Satan tried to destroy it by force from without. The Pharisees saying, you're not allowed to teach in Jesus' name anymore and put them in jail. Now we can see that Satan is trying to destroy it by falsehood from within the church. And God, as a careful surgeon, is cutting out the cancer that is about to invade his body, the church. That's why this is so drastic, and that's why God does not allow this to happen. Now it's said that Ananias and Sapphira were selling a field. In first sight, this looks pretty amazing, isn't it? If somebody came to me at Life Church and said, I'm going to sell my house and I'm going to give the proceeds to Life Church, would you be okay with that? I would go, mm, let me have a think about it. Yeah, I'll be fine with that. That's fine. Um, and he says, they gave most of it. If somebody came to me and said, I'll give most of it to Life Church, I would go, brilliant. Like, that'd be amazing. I don't think that's happened before. Um, and then it says, they kept something back. Now, the words here, kept something back, are an echo from an Old Testament story, the story of Achan. He also got his name in the Bible in a way that he didn't want to. They had just in, um, 
entered into the promised land. They had conquered Jericho and God says, devote everything from the city to me. But Achan kept something back. And then Achan was called out and also dealt with. Now, this story, kept something back, shows us what's going on. You see, when God created the world, he, he, he gave everything to mankind, the whole world. But he said, there's one tree in the middle of the garden you're not supposed to touch. Why is that? Because God is a stingy God and likes to keep the tree for himself? No. He says, I've given you the whole world, but my relationship with you is not based on the gift. I am the giver. And I want you to trust the giver. And that tree there is the limit so you would trust the giver. Now, if you really love your kids, you give them limits, right? If my child comes home and says, I'm hungry, give me the cookie jar, I'm going to empty it. What would I say? Go ahead, eat it all. Break, uh, dinner is in an hour. No, I'd say you can have two, maybe. Um, if you're going to eat the whole thing, you're going to get a bad tummy ache. That's not going to be good for you. And therefore, I said limits because I love them. God said limits because he loves them. He wants people to trust him. Um, tithing in the Old Testament, it's a limit. Why? To learn how to trust God. Trust him that it's not about the gifts, but it's about the relationship with the giver. Now, in the same way, we can see that as people start to receive what um, God had given them through Jesus, there is a real revelation of the generosity of God. You see, God did not keep something back when he sent Jesus to the earth. He gave everything, his only son. And because he'd given everything to us, when we receive that, there is something in us that is birthed. And in a response to that, we give. Now, we don't give 10%. Like, we don't give 20%. It's not a rule. Like God has given everything, his only son. And you're going around with a calculator trying to work out how much should you give? Like, no, we give everything we have belongs to God and everything we have, we give in response. We don't hold something back. And that's why this story is an insult to the gospel. The early church community had caught the generosity of God. And now here were some people that were trying to mimic that but they were keeping something back from themselves. Now, if there was a church that was trying to keep something back from themselves for themselves whilst reaching the world, I can tell you that's going to go horribly wrong. This hypocrisy. It's not the gospel. The gospel is that we give everything. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus is the brother who gave up everything for us. You see, when Jesus came to the earth, he gave up his home. He gave up his home with the Father. And that was a beautiful home. Much more beautiful than mine. And what did he get in return? A drafty cold manger. That was not a good deal, was it? No. And it says, as people start to follow him, Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When he died on the cross, he only had the clothes he wore, and even that was taken from him. And he gave his life, his everything, because he loves you. He loves you. He's given everything. He's held nothing back. He's lavished everything on you. 
And then God raised him from the dead because he trusted God with nothing. He, had, he gave everything. He had nothing left, not even breath in his lungs. And he trusted God. And God was still good. He raised him from the dead. And then we can see that that generosity births something in the community that goes way beyond the Old Testament, way beyond calculators, way beyond nice generosity. We're now into radical generosity. We don't scrape a little bit together so we can um, give that to God and keep the rest for ourselves. We want to live with everything we have for the glory of God. We felt God speaking to us about sharing everything we have with him. First it was finances. Then it was adopting a little girl. And God said, would you be willing to share your house, your precious family time, your sleep, your comfort with this little one that's got nothing to offer but mess? Would you be willing to do that? That's what we're like, isn't it? God's the father who welcomes us into his house. And he gives up everything. You can come knocking in the middle of the night and he... He, he comes and welcomes you. He is the one who invites us in. So we don't give 10% to God and then do 90% of our own. We give everything. Your time, your money, your job, your family, your Saturday, your Sunday. You don't, oh, this is my computer time. No one should interrupt me. I'm gaming. That's, that, we don't do that. We, we give everything because God gave everything. Now, some bits... We need to make life work and we share that and other bits we can give away. Now you see, money is like a mirror. It reveals where your heart is at. And this is what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted to give, but they did not really trust God. Not really. They, they thought, well, what happens if we sell this field? What happens if I sell my house and there's no couch for me to sleep on with a friend the following day? Maybe I just need to keep a little bit just for security. I mean, that's prudent stewardship, isn't it? In the West. Yeah. Uh, no. It showed a lack of trust. They didn't really trust. Now, it's, it's not about the amount they gave. Like Peter's saying, it was yours, wasn't it? You could do with it what you want. God didn't say you have to sell that field. But they chose to. And if you choose to, then you need to make sure that your giving reflects the giver, God's gift. And hypocrisy and giving do not go together. Now, God wants us to be transformed. And uh, I think it was Martin Luther who said that a man needs two conversions, one of the heart and one of the wallet. It's true. It's true because the wallet reveals where the heart is at. So really... They're the same. Now, if you struggle with giving, you'd be relieved to know that we, we, we don't need you to give. You may attend Life Church every week. We pour you coffee. We'll invite you over for food. We'll care for you. You will never have to give a penny and we'll love you because that's what the gospel does. We don't need you to pay in return. But if you never give, we are a bit worried for you. Because it means there is something in your heart that's not in the right position. God doesn't need your money. He can take care of his own mission. But if you never give, 
then God knows that something in your heart is not aligned in the way it should be. God wants to help you to find freedom. So what to do if you're struggling to give? Well, first of all, you may need to take in more of God's love. Spend time every day in his presence. Read his word. Pray, share your worries with him. Invite him in. Worship. As you get to know him more, you cannot but become generous. You see, it's like a flow flowing into your heart that will need to overflow at some point. Now, if you get to that point, I want to encourage you, let a little flow start. If you have never given, give a little bit. If you've given a little bit, start giving regularly. Start climbing the ladder of generosity. If you have given regularly, maybe you want to start giving consistently. Every month, do crazy things. Set up a standing order. Be organized. It's important. Now, if you've given consistently and you've got comfortable and you're kind of like, well, I'm doing my 10%. I'm okay with God. Me and God are okay. Let me encourage you. Give radically, sacrificially, in a way that means selling a house or a field or a car. That's radical, isn't it? As you do, you will experience something of the joy of the gospel that you will never get otherwise. You see, God knows that the joy of the gospel is birthed in our hearts through generosity. Now, how should you give? Well, first of all, be intentional. Make a plan. It doesn't happen. Do it first thing in the month rather than last thing when you've got nothing left. Um, give to the church. It says they laid their gifts to the apostles' feet. They didn't go around working out who had a need and who they think they should give to and who they thought they wouldn't give to. They just trusted their leaders to invest that money and steward it for the common mission. First of all, give to the church. We give to lots of other organizations. We love other organizations. But first of all, we give to the church because we believe that through the church, the gospel is spread and only the gospel can really change people's hearts. Saving the dogs is wonderful, but ultimately, God wants to save hearts. And only through changed hearts, we might have people who start to love dogs. Right? Do you get my, yeah, logic? It's God is after our hearts, and only the gospel can change people's hearts. Then start to give joyfully. If you are grumpy about your giving, stop giving. It's an insult to God. We give you a free card out. If you're grumpy about your giving, you can stop it now. If you've gotten onto that ladder and you got a little bit up too high and you're grumpy about it, get, get back down. Just so you come into a place where you can give joyfully. Doesn't mean there's sometimes a bit of pain involved in that. But this, if there's not joy flowing through that, then, then don't go there. God didn't begrudgingly gave his son because it was the only thing left to do after we messed it up. He gave everything because he loves us and we give out of love. What to do if you're in debt? Very difficult, isn't it? What should I do with giving when I'm in debt? Well, first of all, get help. We've got a debt advice center, life money. We'd love to help you. Just let us know. We can help you make a plan to start paying off your, your, your debt and make a budget on how to live. And I would say, within that budget, try and create a small thing, a small thing that is sacrificially in order to give. 
If you wait to give until your debt is resolved, you may never give. And we can experience giving right even in the middle of debt. So if you're paying off your debt and you have a budget in place, find something within that budget that you love, that is dear to you. I don't know, what, uh, um, uh, an, an Amazon subscription or um, uh, uh, a bit of coffee money or whatever. Within that budget that, that, that is important to you but you wouldn't die if you wouldn't have it, try and put that aside and start giving a little bit. Maybe like the widow, a couple of copper coins. But start to experience some of it. And then some of you, you will have the gift of giving. Did you know that the Holy Spirit gives a gift of giving? And you're all hoping, oh, my hope is not me. (laughs) Some of you will have the gift of giving, and through that gift of giving, you will be able to do extraordinary things. You will be able to build the kingdom. You will be impacting the church, more so than even a preacher being gifted with teaching like a worship leader, gifted with leading people in worship. You will be able to lead people in giving because God has given you the gift of giving. And you'll be able to experience something of the gospel that goes way beyond. So if that's you, go do something crazy. Sell a field or a house or a car or a guitar or I don't know. You will be able to experience something of the grace of God through you that will be a massive impact to the church. Through that, when that generosity starts to get birthed, we will start to get a revelation of the gospel. When we get into that flow, and as we learn how to trust God more and give more, we will start to understand more about God's love for us. And you'll experience his faithfulness. I have never experienced somebody blessed with the gift of giving who did not receive what God had for them and what they needed. I've had a few moments in my life where I went, well, God, that didn't work out. You said to give everything, but I've never had a week I couldn't eat or didn't have a roof over my head. I may not have everything I wanted, but I had everything I needed. And God will provide that for us. And when we do that, we will see a a picture of heaven starting to be birthed among us. We will see that just like Acts, there was no needy person among them. That's a picture of heaven. When people look around the church and they go like, wow, these people sell cars because they're willing to give to other people. I don't see that anywhere else. That is a witness to the gospel. And now if we're handling money the same way everything everyone else does in the world, why would they believe you? Why would they believe anything you say? It's a changed heart and a changed wallet, as Luther said, that will be a demonstration of the gospel and a picture of what heaven's going to be look like. One day we'll discover that we won't be able to bring anything with us to heaven, but everything you've invested now will come to full fruition in that age. We will meet our Father and He will invite us to come and live in His house. And any earthly house that you've given up will be worth that, I tell you that. And there will be such a deep love and trust with the Father that there's unity. There will be no debt. There will be no financial uncertainties. And there will be joy. The Father will be sharing his whole inheritance with joy with us. Now let that future inspire the way that we give today. We haven't picked this passage because it works well with our gift day. I'm not doing a fundraising message here. I'm saying 
Let God's grace be birthed in your heart and let it overflow with generosity so the gospel will be present among us. Let's be inspired by the love of Jesus and of God the Father so that there's generosity released that will be assigned to the whole city, the whole nation and beyond. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand together? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you that you held nothing back, that you gave your everything, your only son for us. Thank you, Jesus, you gave your life for us. Thank you that you give life in return. Thank you for that gift. We receive it. We drink it in. We marvel in it. We celebrate in it. We say, thank you. Thank you. And I would say, Lord, will you give us courage in that place of trust and joy in receiving. Let us follow your example in giving ourselves our very best, not our leftovers, but our first fruits. Not a little bit, but our everything. Jesus, I pray that you'll make us a generous bunch together that will be a sign and a wonder for the gospel that will point towards a different reality that's coming. And may many lives be impacted by that, Lord. As we read, how many people were attracted to that? No one joined lightly, but many of them did. And Lord, we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.